So um, I'm going through premarital counseling with Derek, and I was asking him something special I could do at my wedding, and he showed me that. And so I'm praying about it still, but I think that might be – I'm just kidding. That's not at all – none of that is true at all. <laughs> just kidding. Hey, guys, if you don't know who I am, uh, my name is Chris Dotson. I'm an intern here. Um, and I have the privilege tonight to be in front of you guys. And I say privilege because I take this – whoa, real loud, real loud. I'm like, God. Justin Jones. I'm just kidding. <laughs> All right. Um, I take this real seriously. Um, I take this time real seriously. I prepare a lot. And so, um, yeah, I care about you guys a lot, and this means a lot to me. Um, so, why would I put that in there? I mean, our, our, like our world is surrounded by like, love and romance, is it not? Like, ev- ev- everywhere. Everywhere. From, from like music to, to, I mean, movies. TV, like, you cannot find a movie or TV show that doesn't have some underlying romance. Like, who watches The Office in here? Who watches The Office? Like, religiously, you watch it? You watched the last season? No, you don't watch religiously? Okay, am I right? Yeah. You watched that last season with Jim and Pam? Just the struggles they went through? Ripped in my heartstrings, man. Like, it's everywhere. I, you, don't even, you, like, you don't even realize that it's everywhere. Okay, finish this for me. Ready? Every kiss begins with... Okay, I mean, like, all right, about this one. So a guy just proposes to his girlfriend, and it's like, oh, he went to chair. I mean, like, come on. And then what about this one? Blank, our girl's best friend. Diamonds, duh. I mean, why not? Je- Jesus obviously isn't. I mean, come on. All right, this one may be a little tricky. This one might be a little tricky, but you might get it. Ready? Shut up. You had me at. No, not goodbye. Hello. So, I mean, like, it's all over the place. Like, a- everywhere. Love is everywhere. It's, it's all over the place. And I feel like, I feel like since we're surrounded by it, we kind of feel obligated to jump into it. Like, jump into this world of love and romance just because we're always around it. I mean, Instagram doesn't ask you if you're in a relationship. But still people are like, taken by my boo. And it's like the little handle or whatever. Like, my booty bear or whatever they're called. Like, these different names like it doesn't even ask you or okay this one this one like this one makes me mad there there are people my age older than me that will be dating like talking about marriage going on dates meeting each other's family but it's not official till it hits facebook like it's not real unless it's fbo like real really real i mean that's that that's like the world we live in we're surrounded by love and romance, and this idea, and in a world that's immersed in love and romance, if we look to the world to give us insight on this, we're going to end up in pretty bad shape, because we, we live in a world that really doesn't get things right very often, because we're cursed by sin, and so if we look to the world, to, you know, for insight on how to, you know, how to date, or, you know, how to, how to get married, or how to pursue somebody, It's really kind of the wrong way to look at it. But luckily, we have this book called the Bible. And the Bible has a lot of cool stuff in it, if you haven't read it before. It has a lot of insight on how to treat your parents and how to treat your friends. And it it, it has this cool concept called the gospel that changes lives. But, you know, one of the things it also has is a love story. And it's like the perfect portrait on how to model our life. 
how to model our love life. It's in the book of Ruth. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open those up to the book of Ruth. And so what we're going to do tonight is, like, I'm just going to talk you through the story. If you haven't read it before, cool, because you're about to have story time with Chris. If you had read it before, I'm sorry, you're about to have story time with Chris. Like, it's just going to happen. So I'm going to tell you the story and kind of give you what's going on in the story. And then from there, we're going to step back and look at the story as a whole. And we're going to pull three things, three truths from it that I think are, like, vital. No, yeah. It's, it's after Judges, before 1 Samuel. There's a, there's a table of contents at the front of your Bible if you don't know where it is. All right. Um, but hey, three things, three things we're going to pull from the story that I think are critical, critical for when you do decide to pursue a relationship. Okay? So let's get in there. Bef- before we can look at anything in Ruth, though, before we can look at anything in there, we've got to set the stage. Who's seen, who's seen Star Wars? Everybody? If you haven't seen Star Wars, then... I'm sorry. Um, but wh- how does every movie start? How does every movie, Star Wars movie, start? Yes. It's, it's, the, it's, 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 it's a black screen. It's a black screen. And then it comes up in a galaxy far, far away. And you get the... They use music, though. They don't use mouths to make the noise. Um, so you, you got, and it, like, it, you've got these credits that roll, and, the, and it explains what, like, what's going on and what's going on before this movie. Uh, can you ever read those credits, though? Let's just get real here. I, it's too fast for me, man. Like, I've got to, if I, if I do want to, I don't do it often. But if I do want to read them, I've got to pause, and I've got to look through and read. Like, too fast for me. But it sets the stage. So we've got to set the stage here and what's going on in the book of Ruth. And what, where this is, what's going on, the setting and everything. So. Look at like six words in the first verse. It says, in the days when the judges ruled. So it's in the time of the judges, but who are they and what does that mean? So in order to kind of know what that means, we got to go one page back to the book of Judges, to the very last verse, the very last verse of Judges. Verse 25, it says, in those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what he thought was right in his own eyes. So we're in a time of unrest, in a time where there's no authority, where everyone's just kind of doing whatever they want to do. It's a time of turmoil. The the Israelite people are actually turning away from God in this time. They're turning to other gods. They're sinning habitually, and they're really just ignoring the fact that they have a creator that's been watching over them all this time. So everyone's doing kind of whatever they want to do, and it's in this, like, uneasy, like, tumultuous time that we have this beautiful love story. So here's how it goes. There's this guy, and his name is Elimelech. Yeah, I know, right? (laughs) Elimelech. Okay, this guy, his name is Elimelech, and he has a wife whose name is Naomi. They have two sons. Well, there's a famine in Israel, and they decide, hey, we're going to go to this neighboring country called Moab, and we're going to live there and get food from them. So they go to this country, and they live there. Well, like no sooner than they get there, and Elimelech dies. He just drops dead. So now it's just Naomi and it's their two sons in this foreign country. Well, the two sons, they find these two women that they want to marry named Ruth and Orpah, and they marry them. Well, then this family has a little bit of a string of bad luck, and then those two sons die after this. So now you have a woman who's a widow in a foreign country with these two daughters-in-laws. 
they don't know, she, Naomi, Naomi doesn't really know much about this culture. It's, I mean, different food, different gods, different religions, you know, different customs, different traditions. She's in this really weird land, and she wants to get out. Well, she finds out that the famine has been lifted, the famine is over in Israel, and she can return. So she gets Ruth, and she gets Orpah, and she brings them with her, and she says, we're going to go to Israel. We're going to go back to my land. They start traveling, and, you know, they're on their way, and then Naomi's, like, gets convicted. She's like, I can't do this to these girls. I, I can't make them leave their families. She, she says, hey, go back. Go back to your families. Go be prosperous. You know, you remarry, have kids. I mean, live a life. Don't live your life with just this old widow. I don't want you to have to do that. So Orpha, I mean, she's upset, but then she's like, all right, peace. I'm going back. But Ruth, Ruth has a tender heart, and she just, she's like, stays there. She's like, I'm not going anywhere. And Naomi's like, you just saw your sister-in-law. She's, she's leaving. She's, she's going back to her land. Go with her. And Ruth responds, and she says, do, do not urge me. Don't urge me to leave you or to return from following you. See, where you go, I will go. Where you lodge or where you stay, I'll stay. Your people, they'll be my people. And your God, he'll be my God. See, Ruth right here, she's like, no, I'm not going back to that old life. See, I've seen something different in you and this God that you worship, Yahweh. See, he is my God. I want him to be my God. I want your people to be my people. I want to live a separate life. And she goes with Naomi into Israel. So they enter Israel, these two women who aren't married, who have no family members. Now, if you don't know anything about this time, you, you couldn't like, like women didn't work. They kept the house and the husbands and the men of the family worked. So they had no one to provide for them. Like, they're poor. Well, they weren't even, like, poor. They were po. They couldn't even afford the O-R. Like, they're just dirt po, kind of like me. And so they, oh, real funny story. So, you know, root cups or whatever that those are out? This is just my ADD kicking in. So Brian's like, Chris, you got to get root cup. And, like, I only give myself, like, $20 a week to eat out on. And I'm like, dude, I can't spend 9 bucks on a root cup. I might have to drop into the savings for that. That's just a little fun fact about me. So, yeah, they're poor, like po. They don't have any money. So because of that, they can't buy any food. They can't grow food because I mean, they don't know how. They can't work the fields. So instead, they turn to this Hebrew custom called gleaning to get food and get money. This is what gleaning is. When, you know, there's no tractors back then. I don't know if you thought they were. If you did, there's a problem with you. There's no tractors back then. So you had to pick grain your, like, your, by hand. So these guys working in the fields, they go and they, they, you know, they pick grain. They put it in their little satchels. And they, you know, they'd be like Indiana Jones, they'd be picking their grain or whatever. And as they falls into the, the, you know, the bags, they're going to drop, just naturally some are going to drop to the ground. And then there's these women who would glean behind them and they would go around and walk and like crawl on the ground and pick up like the, the scraps that these guys dropped. Like it, it's, it's rough. And that's the position that Ruth and Naomi were in. So Naomi says, hey, there's this guy who's a part of my family. Um, his name is Boaz. Uh, he has a field. Go and, go and glean in it. Go and glean in it. Go in there. Um, he, should be, he should treat you kindly. You know, Naomi's just kind of looking at like, hey, we need food. You need to, like, we need, I need you to do this for us. So Ruth goes. And she's in this field and she's gleaning. And then Boaz enters the scene. And in verse 4 of chapter 2, we see like the exact man that Boaz is based on the first words that this book, this text describes him as. It says that he enters the field from Bethlehem and he says, the Lord be with you. He says to his reapers, to his servants, he says, the Lord be with you. I mean, the author doesn't have to put this in here. Like, think, this is, a, this is a human being who's writing this inspired by the Holy Spirit. He doesn't have to put that in here. But I think he puts it in there for a reason, to set the stage right away that 
Boaz isn't just a normal guy. He's a godly man who loves the Lord. The fact that he'll enter a room of, in, like, of people that he is superior over, his subordinates really, and he'll say, the Lord be with you. So right away we see that Boaz is a, is a man of moral character. He's a godly man. So he comes in, he says that, and he notices that Ruth is there because she's, she's different. She's foreign. She's wearing kind of funky clothes. He's like, who's that woman? To one of his servants. And they say, oh, that's, that's Ruth. Uh, that's the woman that left with Naomi from Moab and came to live here. Now, it's like a small town like Cleveland, and like gossip is all over the place. So he had heard about what Ruth had done. So he comes up to her and says, um, hey, I know what you did for Naomi, and I know that you are a godly woman, and I just want to let you know you're welcome to glean here anytime. Now, guys, quick pointer. That is how you approach a girl. Not like that singing or whatever that was, that whampering, or I don't even know that's a word. That's how you approach a girl. I mean, he says right away, hey, the first things out of his mouth is I've heard of the godly woman that you are. The first thing, he doesn't say, yo, girl, you're fine. Like, no. He doesn't, like, come up to her and, like, say her some stupid pickup line. Like, even a Christian pickup line, like, do you want me to pray for you on this shoulder? And then she's like, no. Like, no. He straight up is like, hey, hey, I've heard of who you are. I've heard of the godly woman you are. I've heard of what you've done. He's like, feel free to glean here anytime. He's like, no one's going to give you any trouble because you're foreign. Feel free to be here whenever you want. And Ruth is like, like, why are you doing this? Like, she's like, whoa, why are you being so kind to me? I mean, I'm a foreigner. And Boaz says, because I've heard of the godly woman that you are. Like, it's like, they're kind of like, you ever been in a conversation like with someone and you're like, you're, you're talking and you both kind of know where the conversation is going, but you don't want to be that forward about it. So you're kind of beating around the bush. That's what they're doing here. Like she's like, well, why do you want, why do you want me to glean in your field? Why do you think I, I just told you what? Like, I goodness, hate when girls do that. Like, he's like, what do you think? And he goes, and he goes, you know what? I've heard of the woman you are. I've heard of what you've done for your, for your um, mother-in-law. And you know what? I, I pray that the Lord repays you the reward for submitting yourself under his wing, for taking refuge under his wings. Now, in Hebrew, that word is goel. And goel is, is like, it's like a word that can mean two different things. It can either mean wing of like a bird, or it can mean a cloak, like the hem of someone's garment. Um, and this word goel is used, uh, is used throughout the Old Testament. It's used in Ezekiel, um, it's, and it's used uh, in Luke in the New Testament. Um, when Jesus looks at Jerusalem, and he says, Oh, Jerusalem, how I wish I could have covered you under my wing like a mother hen does her chicks. Like, who lives on a farm? Anybody live on a farm in here? Do you have chickens? What do the little chicks do when there's, when there's bad stuff coming? They run under mama's wings because no one's messing with mama. Like, they run under and she protects them. There's like this metaphor all throughout the Bible of God redeeming us, protecting us, covering us, covering us with the righteousness of Christ, covering us with Christ's blood. This idea of being covered, submitting ourselves to the covering of God, the refuge of God. And that's what he's saying. He's like, hey, I've noticed that you've submitted yourself to God. And that's why I'm hitting you up right now. So, you know, things progress. And the summer goes on because this takes place at the beginning of the summer and the gleaning season is all throughout summer. So all summer, they're like hitting it off. And you read the rest of chapter two and, you know, they're, they're spending time together. And this relationship develops. A relationship that's founded based upon the godliness of both of them. So they're in this relationship, and the summer's coming to an end. 
It's like a bad Disney movie. The summer's coming in, and you got to go back to grandma's. Like, there's no more reason for Groot to be in the field because gleaning season's over, and she's not, I mean, she doesn't live with him. Like, there's no reason for her to be there anymore. So Naomi's like, all right, I have a plan. Here's what we're going to do, Ruth. You stink, first off, so take a shower. Um, and then I want you to put on the nicest clothes you have. And uh, Boaz, see, he's going to be on the threshing floor. Uh, he's going to be, uh, the, you know, going through the, the wheat and the barley to, dis- to uh, take away the chaff and stuff, and, you know, they get the grain. He's going to be doing that all day. And then he's going to sleep on the threshing floor in the field, you know, by himself at night to protect that grain so no one steals it. Um, I want you in the middle of the night to sneak up, and I want you to sit at his feet. And then I want you just to wait. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Like, first you're like, okay, is that really in the Bible? Like, what's going on here? What are you doing, Naomi? What's you up to, girl? And it's like, wait, 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 what's going on? But you've got to realize what's going on in the context of the culture, because this is way different culture than what we live in today. See, there was a law in Hebrew culture that if you married into a family and your husband died, then if there was a single man in that family, you were able to marry him to kind of, you know, to kind of be, be protected or, you know, be provided for. So, girls, if you, married a, if you married a guy and he died, then you could marry his brother or you could marry his cousin or something like that. So you're not, like, marrying within your family. It's not like incest or anything weird like that. You're, you're, marrying, you're still marrying within the family you married into. So that's what she's saying. She's like, hey, Boaz is actually related to us. And, you know, I've seen the way you guys are around each other, and I know that you guys are interested in each other. And unlike how most of this Leverite marriage works, how most of these marriages work where it's just kind of like gold digging, you just find like the rich guy of the family and you marry him, you guys actually love each other. Like it works. It's like, whew, imagine that. You guys love each other already, so why not take this to the next step? And the, the funny thing about this was that men were not allowed to initiate it. It had to be initiated by women. Like, can you, guys, can you imagine like your girlfriend being like, baby? Like, no, that's weird. I, I couldn't imagine that. So she says, okay, go and wait at his feet until the middle of the night. And so I want you to remember, she says, he will tell you what to do. The ball will be in his court. So she goes and does exactly what, she, what Naomi tells her to do. And she goes, and he falls asleep, and she sits at his feet. Pops the squat right here. And so Boaz is asleep, and he feels someone at his feet, and he, like, wakes up. It's like, can you imagine that? Like, someone's just like, hey. He's like, whoa, who are you? Who are you? Who are you? Who are you? Who, who, who is that? She says, it's Ruth. It's Ruth. Spread your cloak around me that I may be redeemed. You know, Boaz had identified that she had submitted under the spiritual cloak, the spiritual wing of God. And now she's kind of like playing off of what he's already told her and saying, no, yeah, I've submitted under the Lord. But now I'm, I'm telling you that I want to submit under you as, as your wife. So now the ball is in his court. This woman has straight up been like, I want, like, I want you. He, and he knows it now. And there's no one there. And they're in the dark. And he says, it's a long, like, so there's like a long pause. And he's like, that's an awkward tension right there. He's just like, and he says, he says, yes, bl- bless you. This kindness that you're showing me is even greater than what you've done for your mother-in-law because you're not seeking after these other men who are richer than I am or better looking or younger than I am. No, you're, 
you're seeking after me because you, you love me. He says, yes, yes, I, I, yeah, I want to, but here's the thing, Ruth. I can't because there's actually someone else who's closer in relation to you that actually has first priority over you. I, like, we can't, we can't do, like, this can't go on. We, we have to wait until morning. Like, three times in that passage, you see, he says, we have to wait until morning. Wait until the morning. Wait until the morning comes. And I'll talk to him and get his consent. Because if he consents, then, I, yes, I can marry you. So the next morning comes, and he meets up with this guy for coffee at Starbucks. And they're, I'm just kidding, I got Starbucks. And so, and, and so he, you know, he's, they're talking, and he says, hey, look, you know, Ruth, that girl from, Mo, from Moab, uh, you're actually in line to marry her, man. And if you want to, then, like, cool. But if not, then I would like to. And that guy's not interested. He's like, no, yeah, yo, all yours. Have at it. So, sh- so she now is in line to marry Boaz. And Boaz, I mean, it's like, mm, got it. Like, so, like, I've always wondered what I'm going to do, like, when I finally, like, when I finally propose. Like, what, like, or, like, when you get married, have you guys ever wondered, like, you're going to be like, like, are you going to do it? Like, you just, like, kiss, like, you've kissed the bride. I mean, I'm going to be like, like some, I don't know. I'm gonna be happy, man. I'm married now. Woo! Okay. So, um. Anyways. So yeah, they can get married now. Boaz is now the first in line to marry her, and they do get married. And they do get married now. Right now, it's kind of tricky to see how that can exactly apply to our lives, because there's a lot of like weird Hebrew like customs and traditions within it that really that don't go on anymore at all. Kind of weird, kind of some, some sketch things. But what I want to do is just let's pull apart, let's just pull three things out of this. Three things that I think when you apply it to your life, they're going to be so beneficial for you. So beneficial. So the first thing is this, is that biblical love seeks a God-centered relationship. True biblical love seeks a God-centered relationship. Um, who's ever heard that term, don't be unequally yoked or whatever? Who's ever heard that? Okay, it comes from 2 Corinthians uh, 6. And Paul's talking in, in, you know, to this church in Corinth, and he's comparing relationships to oxen plowing a field. Um, now, oxen, now what they used to do is they would put two oxen together, and they put a yoke on them. And it would, like, attach to both of them. So they were both attached to this yoke, and then they would walk together, and they would plow this field. Well, if you had a really, really weak ox on one side and a really strong one on the other, the weak ox brought down the strong one. No matter how strong this one was, it was still being brought down. It wasn't as productive as if there was a strong one next to it. And that's what's going on in this story. It's that these aren't two people who are unequally yoked. Her, one of them loves the Lord, and the other one is just kind of iffy about it. One of them is kind of trying the game out. The other one is in love with, is in love with Jesus. No, they both love God. I mean, we see it in what Ruth says to Naomi. She says, your people will be my people and your God, like Yahweh will be mine. Yahweh will be mine. I mean, Boaz, Boaz has heard and Boaz has recognized it. He says, I know that you've taken refuge under the wing of the Lord. I know that you've sought after him and taken spiritual refuge under him. So Ruth is a woman of God. That's why Boaz says he's, he's drawn to her in the first place for what she's done. And then Boaz, I mean, we said already that he enters the field. If he enters this story, and the first words that come out of his mouth are, may the Lord bless you. May the Lord bless you. Right away, we see that Boaz is a man that loves the Lord. And the fact that he's able to spark conversation with Ruth and base everything in that conversation off of what God is doing in her life, 
points to the fact that this story, this couple is grounding their relationship in God. Like, you aren't going to ever hear anyone on our staff be like, hey, you should date this person or you guys should date. Because like, we're going to tell you to wait for as long as you can to guard your heart to date somebody. But the reality of it is, is that like, you don't listen. Like, I didn't listen to people when they told me that when I was your age. Or if you are listening, one day you're going to date somebody. You're going to pursue a relationship. But here's what I'll tell you is that don't date just to date. Don't date just to kind of try everything out. Like, it's not a Chinese buffet. You know, like, you go there. Like, who's been to Royal Buffet over there? They got some awesome food. Like, you, like you don't walk in and you're like, ooh. Like, when I walk in there, <laughs> so funny. I go and I get myself some hibachi and I put it in the gift of thing. And then I just walk around. I don't even get a plate. I just walk around and get, like, food and just start eating it. Like, it, yeah, it's weird. Um, and, like, like, those little beef stick things, you know those? Oh, I'll tear some of those up. But, like, you can't just, dating is not just going around and trying everything out to see what you like best. The world is telling you that, and it's, like, it's wrong. Because if you're at a Chinese buffet and you, like, I really want the hibachi. That's what I want. Like, that's what I like. And if I can't go to hibachi, because that's where I really want to go, because hibachi is sweet, I'll get hibachi at Royal Buffet. But if I'm, you know, order hibachi and then I'm going and eating everything else, by the time I get out of hibachi, I can't give it my full and undivided hunger. I can't because I've already given my hunger away to other little things. So when I finally get that, hibo- that hibachi, that, that plate that I really want, that food I really want, it doesn't mean as much to me because I can't really appreciate it like I would if I was really, really, really hungry. You know, it's the same thing in dating. If we just date around and, and you know, jump from guy to girl or, you know, just, you know, well, I want to see this person. Like, I want to see what this is like with this person or this type of person. You know what I'm saying? Like, if you just keep jumping around from, like, guy to girl, Okay, well, you know what I mean, gosh. If you jump around from person to person, okay? There we go, clarify that. Hey, it's going to leave scars. Because when you finally meet that person that you do want to spend the rest of your life with, you're going to have some baggage when you meet them. Like, it's, it was hard when me and my girlfriend first started dating because I have a lot of baggage when it comes to girls because I made a lot of not very wise decisions. And it caused a lot of insecurities in her that didn't need to be there. And it strained our relationship. And hey, I'll be honest, you know, it, it still strains our relationship. Because of decisions that I made in dating when I was y'all's age that were stupid. That were simply just fulfilling me and my flesh. See, a God-centered relationship is a relationship that dates with the intent to marry. You know, you're not meeting someone you're like, I'm going to marry you. Let's go out to O'Charlie's tonight. But it's, when you get to know somebody, you see that there's something there that you want to hold on to. You don't just start dating that person flippantly or, you know, being boyfriend and girlfriend with that person. You really pray hard with them, by yourself, with your parents, about if this is a person that you really want to take a step step with. Because relationships are tough. They're tough. So they had a God-centered relationship. Their foundation was in God. And that allowed them to have this second point that I wanted. The second truth is that biblical love seeks above all else, it seeks purity. Above everything else, biblical love, it's, it seeks purity. I mean, let's go back to that sketchy scene on the threshing room floor, okay? Let's just re- re-examine that one more time. 
like I said, that doesn't, that seems weird to us. You know, but when we explain the culture, we see what that was for. I mean, she was really just making her intent known to him that, she, that you know, she wanted to marry him. She wanted to submit herself to him as a wife. Like, picture this. It's like it's a beautiful summer's night. The stars, the stars are shining. Everything is perfect. He loves her. And she loves him. And they're alone. No one will ever know. And they, they stop themselves. Like, they stop. They don't move on. Boaz says, we have to wait. We have to wait because there's someone else in line. It's not our time yet, Ruth. We have to wait. We cannot act on this. Like, rather than acting on their passions and, like, what their flesh was telling them, they restrained themselves because they knew, they knew the consequences of delving into that before it was properly intended. Like, they knew what would happen. And, like, the world tells you, it says, like, if, if everything seems right and, you know, and the stars align and, and, you know, it seems perfect and you love them and they love you and you really are in love and no one's going to ever know. Like, it says, just, just do it. But, like, like, for the sake of righteousness, like, stop yourself. Whatever it takes, stop yourself. I mean, I wouldn't even advise you get into a situation like that at all. You set guardrails way before that, but stop yourself for the sake of righteousness. Stop because it scars you more than you guys can even imagine. It puts tolls on that relationship. It, put tolls, it puts tolls on future relationships. It leaves scars, and it leaves consequences. And just like Boaz and Ruth let the morning dawn on their purity— let it dawn on yours. Because those times will come, those relationships will come with those people that everything seems perfect with. And I'm telling you, for the sake of righteousness, stop. Wait. Love is patient. Love is patient. You know, I wish that someone would have told me this when I was your age because I'm dealing with things now just in my own personal life that are direct results from not adhering to the word of God in this area. And some of you might know and might attest to that that, you know, compromising your purity scars not only you, but it scars the other person and it scars future relationships in your life. It scars relationships that you have with your parents as far as relationships that you're going to have one day with your future spouse. And, like, it's not a bad thing. Like, sex isn't bad. Sexual things are not bad. God created sex. But it's meant to be enjoyed in the perfect context of marriage where, hey, if you get a preggers, you can have a baby because that's what's supposed to happen. That you're not jumping around from partner to partner. That it's meant to be enjoyed in marriage. And Boaz and Ruth knew that. Because they knew, and the third point is this, that God honors God-centered relationships and pure relationships. God honors God-centered, pure relationships. I didn't really go into detail about what happened after Boaz and Ruth got married, because I wanted to save it until now. See, they get married, and the Bible actually describes the genealogy of their kids. If you read the story, you know this, or if you have your Bible, you're reading ahead. But it's this, is that Ruth and Boaz give birth to this guy whose name is Obed. Another great name. And Obed has a son whose name is Jesse. And Jesse gives birth to this guy that we know by the name of David. 
And it's from David that God himself decides to reveal himself to save the world through this family, through the line of David in Jesus Christ. God honored their obedience through choosing this family to send his son into the world. I don't think there's any greater blessing than that on a family. God honors God-centered relationships. God honors pure relationships. And like, look, get in Derek mode. You guys have got to protect your purity, and you've got to guard your heart. Like, it's, it's so important. It's so important because there are consequences for when you don't. Big consequences. Um, uh, last weekend, I went to Ohio to uh, visit some family up there. Um, and my little brother was up there who I don't see. I, me and my little brother, I have a really good relationship with him. Um, he's a freshman in high school. And we're, we're kind of opposite. Like, he's more like the artsy uh, you know, he loves, he's like in a culinary program, he loves to cook, he loves like doing like outdoorsy stuff where like, I guess I'm just not a man, and like, I like to read, like, he's into that kind of stuff, so when he goes to Ohio, my grandma and grandpa live on a lot of land, and they have uh, BB guns, so he shoots stuff all the time, like he sets up target on trees, and he'll stand on their deck, and he'll shoot, um, and one night we're having dinner, and <laughs> my, uh, my cousins come in, and they're like, Austin shot a rabbit, Austin shot a rabbit, <laughs> like, Oh, dang it. Shot a rabbit. So I walked out there, and I, I was like, Austin's standing there, and he's like, and I was like, Austin, did you shoot a rabbit? And he goes, well, I mean, I shot the gun in that area, and there's a rabbit laying there. So I'm, yes, I might have. And so I was like, oh, gosh. So I'm like, I'm like, I'm not mad, Austin. Don't worry. And so I initially, I was, it really didn't bother me. I mean, it's just a rabbit. And I walked over to it, and like, it broke my heart. Like, I walk over, and this rabbit is, like, struggling for its life. Struggling for its life. And my little brother starts freaking out. He's like, oh, I didn't, I didn't know. That. I, didn't, I thought I killed it. I didn't, I didn't know. And I'm like, awesome. This, I get mad. I go into, like, dad mode now. If older siblings, you know this. I'm like, awesome, what were you thinking? Why did you do that? And he goes, well, I didn't think I was going to hit it. I just, like, aimed in this direction, and, and like, it happened, and I hit it. And I was, that's stupid. Austin, you were aiming towards an animal with a gun. You're probably going to hit it. You were aiming for destruction, so you got destruction. As I thought, like, how many people have I talked to that have compromised their purity, and they've said, man, I never thought I'd get there. Like, I didn't think that I was actually going to do that. Man, if I would have known that, like, I was going to be doing this, I would have never gotten in that relationship. Man, if I would have found out what my friends was doing, what I was doing, I would have beat them up the side of the head. Like, I can't believe that I got there. And, like, I've said that before. I said that to people before. And, like, I look at myself and look at those people and I think, how could you not think you were going to get there? What were you aiming for to begin with? Because were you aiming towards holiness and righteousness to, at the very start of your relationship? Because if you were, that's not what's going to happen. Because when you're, you're, when you're looking up, you don't get caught up with what's right here. But when you're looking down, 
eventually you're going to go down and you're going to hit destruction. Like, maybe you can get away with it for a week or, or a month or even years, but eventually that place you never thought you'd be, that person you never thought you'd become, you're going to become that person. Because this guy right here is a perfect example of that. If you would have told me my freshman year of high school the things that I would be doing my senior year of high school, I would have, <laughs> I would have never believed you. Never. But I got involved with the wrong things. And I wasn't aiming this way in relationships and this way in my private time. I was aiming this way. And I hit destruction. I hit destruction. Because I wasn't aiming for the right thing. But the good news is this, is that we're not like dead rabbits. We're not just dead rabbits. Hey, there's consequences. There's hurt and there's scars. Yes, I will be the first one to tell you that. But I'm also going to be the first one to tell you that there's healing for us. There's healing for every single person in this world. Like, that's what the gospel is. The gospel isn't get yourself perfect and come to Jesus. The gospel isn't, hey, if you do all the right things, then you'll be good. The gospel isn't, hey, if I'm just better and I have like a list of like goods and bads and my good outweighs the bads, then I'm good. That's not the gospel. The gospel is that Jesus Christ died to free you from everything you're enslaved to. And that there's nothing that you have to do to earn that. That he freely gives it to you. It tells us in the Gospel of Luke that Jesus says, Hey, I didn't come here for the healthy people. I came here for the sick. I'm a physician for the sick and the broken. I want to heal. That's why I'm here. The band's going to come back up here in a second. And I just want to hammer home this right here. God honors obedience, and he'll honor your obedience in your relationships. That's what obedience, I mean, he, he's going to reward you for that. He does it here in this story. Um, but there's something else that he honors, and that's genuine repentance. Because we can't be healed until we admit that we, we have a problem. I mean, what's, like, you can't overcome a problem unless you admit that you have one. And I think a lot of times, like I did for so long, you just kind of, you kind of just put it to the back of your mind and act like it's really no big deal. Like, I don't have an issue. Like, it's, I'm, not, I'm not actually doing this. I'm just kind of doing this. But where are you aiming? What are you headed towards? Because if you're flirting with destruction, you're going to get destruction. It's just natural. So what I want to do right here, I just want us just to, just to take a, just like a couple minutes just to kind of just examine ourselves. We're going to bring the lights down, and we're just going to spend time. I mean, we're a church, and we love each other. Like, that, that's what, what the church is made for. That's what we're created for. And, like, that's why Jesus did what he did so that we could have this community. Like, Jesus wants us to call out to him for strength, but he also wants us to call out to him in times of help. So right now we're going to worship and do one more song. And I just want us to sit and examine ourselves. Maybe we need to pray for strength in future relationships. Maybe we need to pray for strength in, in, in current relationships. Maybe we need to pray for healing. I don't know what it is, and I'm not going to ask you to do anything special. I just want you to examine your own heart and your own self right now. Heavenly Father, God, Lord, I, I thank you that you are a God that let me go through the hard things, God and save me from them. Lord, I thank you that you're a God that 
even though we're screwed up and we make mistakes, God, that you heal, that we're not just dead rabbits, that we don't stay dead when we make mistakes, God, that even though there's consequences, even though there's scars, that you love us and that by the blood that you shed for us on the cross, we are redeemed. We are new creations. The old has passed and the new has come. Lord, you died for us knowing that full well that we would reject you. For while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. But Lord, I just pray, God, that you make known your healing power, that you make known your strength that you give to honor you. God, I ask that you just fill this room with your spirit and have your way, whatever that means, God. In your name.